You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Last week, Easter Sunday, Pastor Wolfmuller, uh, it was really <laughs> quite amazing watching him preach concerning the joy of Christ's resurrection because here we have a man standing in the pulpit overflowing with just sheer joy, you know, just gladness and happiness and, and contentment with the very fact that Jesus is risen and all that means for you. And this is a joyful time. The entire season of Easter, this, this is what it's all about. But oddly enough, when we uh, were listening to the, the words of the Holy Gospel, according to St. Mark last week, what do you remember about the very end of the Gospel lesson, right? You had the women who came to the tomb. They saw the stone had been rolled away. And they saw the, the, the angels, and they heard the, the preaching of the angels, and what did they do? They ran away terrified. They were afraid. In some ways, that's, it, it, we don't know what to do with that, you're right? I mean, you would think that as soon as you saw the open tomb, as soon as you realized that Jesus isn't there, that your heart would just be flooded with joy. But in fact, it wasn't quite that way with the women. Now we have to ask ourselves a question. Does this mean that uh, the joy of Easter, had it not yet quite taken a hold? Was it not real yet, and that's why the women didn't feel it? No, that's not it. You see, the joy, the joy of, of Easter is certain. It's a fact. But the hearts of men and women are cold and weak things. Even after they hear about Jesus' resurrection, which is undoubtedly the greatest and most happy event in all of human history. And yet these weak, tepid, and easily startled hearts, these are exactly the spoils that Jesus seeks through his death and also now through his life. And that's why this morning we meditate on the word we meditate on the preaching that has to accompany the resurrection. Just so you know, there's no question or ambiguity about the significance of Christ's resurrected life. Its significance lies in the fact that consciences are now being set at peace through Jesus' word of forgiveness. The significance of the resurrection is the gospel. That's the best way to put it. And as Jesus comforted his disciples, as you heard in the gospel lesson this morning, so his desire this morning is to comfort you. And that is the point. That having overcome your sin, death, and the devil, Jesus gives you a peaceful conscience and a declaration, and all of that through a declaration of forgiveness and eternal life. What we heard about from uh, uh, the 20th chapter of St. John's Gospel can be divided up into three portions. The first is that Jesus appears to his disciples on Easter evening and he institutes the gospel and the office of preaching. The second thing is that he returns a week later uh, and he presents himself, of course, to Thomas to, to give him a blessing and, and also to bless everyone who has never seen Jesus and yet believes in his word. And then finally, St. John states the purpose of his gospel, why he wrote it, 
And indeed, it's the purpose of the entirety of the Holy Scriptures. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, there is just too much going on here, I have to say. And all of it is critically important for your faith and your understanding. Uh, We could divide this up into a 10-week sermon series. But we only have one shot at it for this for this year, so we'll do our best by just concentrating on two different things then. Uh, we're going to concentrate on the institution of the gospel itself and also the office of preaching. That is, how the gospel comes to you today. Now, the first question we have to ask then is, what does it mean that the gospel is instituted? I mean, we usually think about the gospel, the glad tidings of Jesus' death and resurrection. We think to ourselves... Uh, That it's, uh, I don't know, maybe a perpetual message of some sort. But no, this message has an actual beginning. It started someplace. That's because these glad tidings don't have to do with just sort of vague or abstract realities about God and his goodness and his love. But these glad tidings have a sure and certain foundation in human history, in your history. Before... Everything that had to do, all the preaching that had to do with Jesus' death and his resurrection was prophetic promise. It was pointing forward to something that was coming, but had not yet actually happened. But now you have something better. Now, when I talk about history, I'm not talking about the kind of history that, I don't know, that that you study to get ready for a test or an exam in college or in middle school. You know, the kind of history that you find when you go to Barnes & Noble and go through, like, the auto biographical section or something like that. No, this is a history that has direct import for your lives. And in in a sense, you might be able to call it your extended history. Inasmuch as you have a mom and a dad, and that is a very personal history for you, you know. So also the very fact that the gospel is instituted, that Jesus died and rose again, uh, that is just as much a part of your personal history. It defines who you are at this moment and who you will be for an eternity to come. And the history says this to you today. That because Jesus has died and is now living and risen from the tomb, you have peace. Jesus says to you, peace be to you. It's easy for us to hear these words spoken by Jesus and, and to sort of just let our eyes pass over the words on the page or let, to let our ears think to ourselves, well, you know, Jesus is just saying hi to his disciples or something like that. But really, we should be a little bit startled and a little bit stunned by the fact that Jesus has appeared among his disciples speaking words of peace. Or perhaps the devil will harden us in the other direction in thinking to ourselves that Jesus is speaking peace, all right, but he doesn't mean it for me. He speaks peace to his disciples, you know, these great and wonderful men. But if Jesus really knew what kind of person I am on the inside, the kinds of thoughts that I have, the kinds of twisted desires that I have, surely these words of peace would not be meant for me. But both devilish attacks, both towards having a carefree attitude towards Jesus' words and also of having a terrified heart, both of these attacks are turned aside and thwarted. If we actually understand 
these disciples who have hid themselves behind locked doors out of, out of fear. You have to see that when, you, when these men are locked up behind the closed doors, these are men who know exactly what they deserve. If there, were ever, if there was ever a group of people in the entire world who didn't need to be instructed concerning the law of God, it was these men. They knew they were sinners. They deserved to be obliterated by a divine blast of, 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 of anger. Because they had abandoned Jesus. They knew they deserved to die. But even though they knew that they deserved to die, they were still terrified of that death. Like cowards. And so it's no real surprise that when the women came announcing the glad tidings of Jesus' resurrection to them earlier that morning, that they had hardened their hearts against hope. Victory over life and death may have been obtained. Joy for the entire world may have been obtained, but their consciences were still being torn to shreds by their shame and their grief. It is to these broken and despairing men who are crumbling under the weight of sin and and the law and death that Jesus comes. And he comes with sheer and undeserved comfort. And he institutes the gospel in two words in Greek or two words in Aramaic or as you have it in English, peace be to you. There is no rebuke in these words. There is not one hint of anger. Jesus finds these men who have been crushed, who are, who are dying on the inside, and, and speaks nothing but mercy and kindness. With these words, they obtain forgiveness in full. Not a partial forgiveness, not a conditional forgiveness. All forgiveness for them at that moment is true and real. These men have in that moment obtained life in full. Not a conditional life, not a partial life, but real, eternal, and everlasting life. All of that, all of that life that Jesus has in himself is delivered to them in these words, peace be to you. And as they embrace their Lord with their, their hands and their arms, and as their hearts feast upon his word that he had just preached to them, So it is for you this morning, and so it is for you every morning, that you hear these same words of Jesus spoken to you. The words of peace, of forgiveness, and life for the sake of his own death and resurrection. This is the gospel. If anyone ever asks you for a definition of what is the gospel, what does it mean, You can say it is the sure and certain announcement that my sins have been forgiven for Christ's sake. That the death that I deserved has been canceled. My guilt has been washed away before God forever. That the eternal life that Jesus has obtained, he has given this to me. It is mine by faith. That Jesus has come to die and to rise so that I at this moment, may have comfort for my soul. And have comfort, despite the fact that devil will throw everything in this world against me. And even I will have comfort in the hour of my death. 
Now, dear saints, it's not enough that this gospel that Jesus preaches is for the disciples' ears alone. And so he follows up this institution of the gospel, this very first instance of the preaching of the gospel to, to, to wicked sinners with the institution now of a holy and, and divine office from which this gospel would be preached. He creates a position to be occupied by a man whose sole job, whose only job it is, to speak these same comforting words of Jesus. Peace be to you. He sends men out to do this one thing, not to bring anger, God's anger against sin, so to speak. He must speak that, but not only for that reason. He sends men out to comfort people like you who have been terrified by the devil's attacks, who have been terrified by death, to people who are weighed down with the, the, with the troubles and the dissipations of this life. Jesus sends these men in this office to speak to you the same words that he spoke to his disciples that delivered such comfort. And so Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain forgiveness from any, it is retained. Now, I think that if Jesus hadn't said it so bluntly, you and I would find it impossible to believe that Jesus had just given into the hands of men, mere men. He had given into their hands the charge and the command to administer the gift that he had just used to deliver them and their souls from the pit of hell. That the same Holy Spirit that Jesus had just had just given to them to create faith in their hearts, he is now giving into the hands of men to be delivered through the same words of peace. He gives the keys to open and shut heaven, to bind and to loose consciences into the hands of men. We often hear from, from especially the opponents of the Lutherans, who has the right to give the forgiveness of sins except for God himself? How is it that you stand in front of the congregation and say, I forgive you all of your sins, and say it with a straight face? How do you know that my sins are forgiven? Do you speak for God? And this is it, guys. The answer is yes. That God has put someone here to do exactly that. To announce the forgiveness of sins and the assurance, and the assurance that just as, as, as certain as the, uh, the, the disciples received, these words from Jesus, so also it's as if you are receiving these words from Jesus. Now there is some particular temptation that comes after we have received the blessed gift of the forgiveness of sins through the preaching of the gospel. And the temptation is the temptation is always to doubt. But Jesus knows about this temptation too. 
which is why we have the example of Thomas. Oftentimes we hear about Thomas's doubt as if it's almost a virtuous thing, right? Uh, hey, look, we all have a measure of doubt, right? But hey, Thomas had doubt too, and see how, how Jesus helped him in his doubt. But, you know, Thomas never leaves the room after seeing and touching Jesus, still in his doubt. Jesus leaves him with certainty. The same certainty that he gives to you today. The temptation is to think that unless you have had what Thomas has had, the seeing, or the seeing and the touching and the handling of Jesus with your hands, uh, that you have somehow something less than the real deal, right? He had a certain kind of assurance and certainty that you, you can't possess, right? That's the temptation. And in fact, that was the temptation for, for Thomas that he fell headlong into. When he heard the preaching of his brothers, when they told him, we have seen the Lord, and he thought to himself, what do you mean you've seen the Lord? He gave you the gospel? You who abandoned him? I who abandoned him? Who am I to believe this? What right do you have to tell me that my sins are forgiven? Because you have seen Jesus. <clears throat> but dear saints, you know that it's the opposite. The Lord is careful not to tell Thomas that he is blessed because he has put his fingers into the marks where the nails were. He is careful to tell Thomas that he is not blessed because he has thrust his hand into the gaping wound in his side. Instead, Jesus is very, very careful to say that the ones who are truly blessed are those who have not seen, who have not touched, who have not thrust their hands into the side of Jesus. The ones who are truly blessed are the ones who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus says to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, even the touching of Jesus' nail prints and, and, and the placing of his hand into his side, that wasn't the reason or the cause of Thomas's own faith, as Jesus' question indicates. Jesus told Thomas, do not disbelieve. Do not be disbelieving, but believe. And with this announcement of, of the gospel, even now for Thomas, through a word of his mouth, not through Thomas's eyes, is, Thomas, is Thomas's sins forgiven and faith created in his heart. And he is made a Christian. And so in the same way, dear saints, you are blessed. Not because you have seen Jesus with your eyes, but because you have heard his word of peace. Because your hearts are comforted through this peace. And your fears are set aside by his peace. And in fact, the same word that converted Thomas's frustrated doubt into believing joy is yours now through the same word spoken by the men that Jesus has sent. 
to forgive sins through the promise of everlasting life and resurrection. Uh, I was going to end the sermon now, but it's also important to say this now too. The forgiveness of sins cannot be, uh, isn't something that you, 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 you can have every week at a certain time during the day, but it's something that you should have all the time. The comfort for your souls through the forgiveness of sins, through the preaching of the gospel. And this is why it's so important that as Christian brothers and sisters, ha! <laughs> That, yeah, it's Pastor Wolf Mueller and my job, you know, to speak the forgiveness of sins and the gospel to you. But if you can't find us, by all means, find your friends. Find a Christian brother or sister, a mom or a dad in Christ, to speak the forgiveness of sins to you when you are terrified by the devil's attacks. It's not worth waiting. Jesus wants you to have this assurance and this confidence always. That the office of the keys to, to, to open and to shut heaven, this has been given into the hands of the church and even into your own hands. So that when your brother or sister sins against you, it is your Christian joy and privilege to speak to them saying, you have peace, even though you are troubled because of your sin. Because I know that just as Jesus has forgiven me, so also has he forgiven you. By believing in this gospel, dear saints, you and I, we have life in Jesus' name. This is why the scriptures have been written. Not just John's gospel, but the, all of the scriptures, all of it. It's not there to satisfy our intellectual or historical curiosities. It's there that you and I would have the same comfort delivered to the disciples. It's there to deliver to us the fruits of the resurrection in this day and this hour and even until the very end of our lives. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.